Hello, my name is Todd Starnes. I have the privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly. You can find more about us in our church at odessafirst.com. Our current series is called Church and Culture. We are focusing on the first few chapters of the book of Daniel. Many are asking, how do I live faithful to the Lord in the midst of a corrupt culture? We can live godly lives with great impact on our culture, and Daniel shows us how. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we've been in a series, uh, Church and Culture. Last week we kind of took a break and just talked about Thanksgiving a little bit. Um, but this morning we're continuing with Daniel, and we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 3. And I know, I, I think I feel, I feel, I, I think I do say this every single week, but uh, we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture. Matter of fact, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read through it in different sections. Um, and so uh, that's really, because so, there's so many that maybe um, you're not real familiar with the story. Not all of us grew up going to Sunday school and those types of things that we learned some of these stories. And so... But Daniel chapter 3, some things we've talked about each week. The first week, week 1, we talked about how God is in control. That God is in control of who is in control. God is in control of, of everything. He is omnipotent, He's all-powerful, all-knowing. The, the providence of God and the sovereignty of God are, are, are powerful subjects to study in Scripture. The second week, we talked about in the midst of all the cultural chaos that we face, that we are still called to live a life of hope, of power, and of faith. And regardless of what things look like in the natural and what we are facing, uh, we still need to live a life of hope and, and faith and, and power. Week three, two weeks ago, we talked about how that the God that holds the future holds you. The God that, the, the Bible says that God measures the universe by the span of his hand, and that's the same hand that rests upon you. And that's, that's a powerful thought, isn't it? That the God that's in, that created the heavens and the earth, his hand is on you. And so we want to pick up in Daniel chapter 3. Of course, this, is, uh, this chapter is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we're going to be reading through some verses. You, if you have your notes there, the fill in the blanks and your notebook. Um, also, you can go to uh, Version or the Bible app and, and uh, follow along there in, in those notes. But Daniel chapter 3, let's begin in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits. To give you some um, idea of the size of that, of course, it's not near as wide, but uh, this uh, image that Nebuchadnezzar made was almost as tall as the Lincoln Memorial. If I remember right, the Lincoln Memorial, I think, is 99 feet tall. And, and this statue that Nebuchadnezzar made was 90 feet tall. And it was only about 30 feet wide, but 90 feet tall. It says, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 2, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the Council, the prefects, I'm sorry, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 3, then the satraps, the, the, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
And so, I mean, hopefully you're following along, but King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this idol of himself, and he's telling everybody to come and, and to worship it and as they dedicate it. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages. And that really, um, just kind of just hit the pause button for a second, that's significant to me. Um, and we haven't really gone in the depth into this. Of course, uh, there is, you know, where, Ma- where Babylon was is modern-day Iraq, but Babylon no longer exists except in a, a, a spiritual impact upon us. And we see it really come to fruition in the last days. But that wording really left out at me because nations and languages, and it reminds me a lot, you know, the Scripture tells us those are going to be a day that every tribe, nation, and tongue is going to worship the Lord. And at the onset, you can know through Daniel chapter 3 what is happening is, is, a, a, is something of, of false worship. And just so you know, I, you know, make no bones about it, that's exactly what culture, our culture, where we live right now is after. It's after your worship. It wants your worship over the Lord. And so you're kind of going to see this come out. But and so uh, he, he goes on to say, verse 4, he proclaimed your commanded, O peoples, nations, languages. Verse 5, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 7, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You know, from the very first week, from week one, you know, what I've been trying to really, I guess, bring the forefront into our hearts and mind is that uh, we're living in a culture that we do not fit. As a believer, we, we don't fit in the middle of this culture. That, remember, Scripture is clear that this, this place where we live, it is not home, that we are aliens here. If we are fitting perfectly into this culture, then there might be something wrong with our spiritual heart, maybe something wrong in the side of us. But it's, it's more than that. As we're seeing... Um, I, I really believe this, the end time, probably the end days, is how much is coming to pass and, and coming to fruition. And it really speaks a lot to the culture that we're in today. Because scripture speaks a lot about how things are going to be in the last days. And this kind of reminds you, just a, a, a couple of passages really quickly. It's 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. It says this, knowing first of all that scoffers will come when? When will scoffers come? In the last days. With what? Scoffing. Because if you didn't know, scoffers scoff. I'm here all week. So, Following their own sinful desires, verse 4, listen. This is the question the scoffers are after. This is the scoffing that they're asking. Where is the promise of his coming? When You say it's going to happen, but when it, it hasn't, it's been 2,000 years. When is it going to happen when the last days we see these scoffers will come. Second Timothy 3, uh, those five verses, many are familiar with this passage. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of wonderfulness. 
<laughs> I wish it said that, but it says difficulty, doesn't it? For people will be what? Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. I mean, does, would anybody agree with me that that kind of sounds like where we are? I, to me, it kind of is a descriptive and I, it's just not, you know, something that has all of a sudden happened. We just didn't wake up this morning and, and saw fruition of this passage. It's, it's been oncoming for a while. It's been gaining steam for on. We, we see people all about this. And um, the comparison of Daniel and Babylon and our culture, to me, just seems so similar and so on point. When we read in Daniel that these aides and advisors and all these legal people that surrounded King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, I mean, they wanted to see the demise of Daniel and Meshach, uh, Shadrach, and Abednego, these, the three Hebrew children. I mean, they, Daniel and the, the Hebrew children, they, they stood their ground in faith. And even though they wanted them to eat, remember the king's food that we talked about in, in Daniel 1, they stood their ground. They're like, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to eat that. And, and we're seeing now again in chapter 3 of this bowing down to worship an, an, a false idol, an image of, of this king. And they're still, as we're going to see, going to stand their ground. But God was also using Babylon as a tool. A tool to accomplish his purpose. You can actually read specifically about that. I told you a couple of weeks ago that you could pick up in Jeremiah chapter 28-ish and really read about um, Babylon and Jeremiah's perspective when the Lord spoke to him. But God told Jeremiah that he was using Babylon as a, as a tool to accomplish something. And many times, I, I, I wish it weren't the case, but it, it, it is... It's so. It's just how kind of God gets our attention. Is that uh, so many times we'll go through the difficult times for God to mold us, to shape us, to grow us, to challenge us. And so Babylon, you know, they're they're caught up in this godless culture, but they they stood firm about their faith. And I know that in any given crowd. Uh, I just kind of want to preface before I really, I kind of want to lay a a taking off place, is that I understand that maybe not everyone um, the last couple of years, maybe it hasn't been, you've been insulated a little bit, and I don't say that like as a negative, I'm I'm glad that some people haven't experienced what I've experienced the last almost two years, but I think for a lot of us, we've experienced, it's been some of the most difficult time to live and just beyond the pandemic I, I mean that's definitely an element of it but I think it's it's brought up it's kind of that we were at a tipping point anyway in our culture and now it just seems like so many things are are chaos and it uh, you know what happened in March 2020 it just really sort of the domino effect of 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 uh of just so much negative that has happened in our culture. We've seen division like what we have never seen division. I mean, on everything. On everything. Everybody's got their opinion, right? 
Um, we see whether it be in, in the political spectrum or the social. It's just every. I mean, it's just everywhere you look. Different opinions and and really not a gr- much grace in the discussion. The so the social climate has never been so volatile. Uh, volatile. The we see anger over issues. Some that matter. Some that don't. We have seen people become very rigid in their opinion with very short fuses and very unforgiving. We've seen cancel culture really begin to erupt. We've seen the political spectrum. We see it seems like we're living in a time where we're really more easily offended than what we've ever been. And I say we. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing at you. Maybe, or should I? Because <laughs> when you point, I got, I got three coming. I mean, it, it has been, I, I've seen patterns in my life that have never been patterns before and it's all because if this feel kind of like in a a pressure cooker does anybody know what i'm talking about i you know just for really um to kind of lighten some of this i want to talk about i I was talking with shaley and i said you know i said what do you think about culture today what do you you would have been preaching in Daniel, and so we were talking, and she said, you know, Dad, you really need to show this video. And so, and I had seen it before, but, you know, I, is it going to work? Do we got to work it? I, I, want you to, I want you to see this video really quick. Man, this turkey sandwich is so good. I'm so glad we came here. I know, the food is always good here. And it's a great value, too. Yeah, it is. Man, you guys are always so positive. It's really great. I know some people that are negative and they can't see anything good in anything and people like that are just not very pleasant to be around. You guys, I'm right here. (laughs) What? I said I'm right here. You guys are talking about me like I'm not here, but I am and I don't like what you're saying about me. Jeremy, I don't think she was referring to you. Well, how could she not be? You guys know how much I hate sandwiches and love being negative. I didn't know you hated sandwiches. Why do you think I'm eating soup, Steven? It's like 100 degrees outside. Guess that makes sense. Look, Jeremy, I wasn't referring to you, really. You promise? I promise. I'm sorry, guys. It just got out of hand there, you know? I don't want to be that guy, you know, who's so prideful and unwilling to back down and probably pops their collar. Guys, I'm right here. Jason, I didn't mean you. Look, I can't help it that I'm better and more confident in everything than you guys. (laughs) And sure, I'm physically built as if Michelangelo chiseled me from stone. (laughs) But don't put that on me. Okay, so you're a little cocky. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, so the truth comes out. You know what? Most of the time, I'm just acting confident to cover up my insecurities because I don't want to be the guy who's overly sensitive about everything. (laughs) I am right here. Do we know you? You don't even know me? You've been coming here for 10 years and have all your birthdays memorized. Happy birthday. We forgot about my birthday. I know. It's not like we didn't notice you. You're clearly not the kind of person we'd all forget. I'm right here. Oh, jeez! How long have you been there? I gave all of you guys a ride here. 
I remember being driven here by a faceless orb. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, I was voted most forgettable in my high school. Didn't end up in the yearbook. But at least I'm not one of those people who steals food from other people's plates. James, Adam's right here. Guys. We gotta get out of here, the movie starts in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah it looks like we're gonna have to take Main Street. The cops just shut down the freeway because they're looking for a homicidal maniac. <laughs> you guys, I'm right here. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe, because you don't want to be... Oh, I thought that was funny. I mean, if you... Because if you're on social media, you can watch that play out on social media. You know, somebody post something and then somebody comments, are you talking about, you do mean me? You know, and it, it's the culture. But I, I think a, the reason why that's amping up is because the pressure of the furnace that we are in. We're in the pressure of the furnace. And, you know, with everything that's going on, every scenario, it seems like pressure has just increased. And Daniel chapter 3 and verse 8, it says this. I mean, we read it just a few moments ago, but I want to pick out this one verse because it says, therefore, at that time, the Chaldeans, which that was the, the people that uh, worked witchcraft and um, for King Nebuchadnezzar, came forward and what maliciously accused the Jews? Maliciously. I mean, he just, he, it just wasn't like a small accusation, but it says maliciously. I mean, these Chaldeans, these Chaldeans that represented witchcraft that were, I mean, they were really applying the pressure specifically to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's your first point that I, I want you to, this is your first fill in the blank, is this. It's perspective changes with pressure. When we are going through the furnace, when we are going through the trial, what happens so many times is it changes the way we see the world around us. It changes our relationships, it, it, possibly with uh, one another. When pressure increases and we don't, we, begin, we don't process things like what we would normally process. When pressure increases, we find ourselves saying things that shouldn't be said. When pressure increases, we don't think clearly. When pressure increases, we don't filter conversations or things that are said correctly. When pressure increases, we internalize things through an unhealthy filter. If I'm gonna, when, when we go through life, and, and if you're not right now, or maybe you have at some point, if you haven't at some point, it's going to happen in life where you're going to go through a difficult time in your life. And listen to me, sometimes we don't get the answer as soon as what we want it. Sometimes we don't get the answer that we do want. Sometimes we think things should go one way, but it goes entirely a different other way. But when that happens, we've got to guard our hearts. We have to guard our spirit from that pressure cooker changing us into something we were never meant to be. Are you with me this morning? Was that, is this, okay. Uh, is this too close to home? Or I know we're a low crowd this morning, but you're with me, right? I'm still convinced one day I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have cappuccinos ready for everybody. We're going to have little cups, and we're just going to pass them out about this point right now. We're going to put extra caffeine. In. No, I'm joking. We're, I, I do believe that we're in a, in a spiritual battle of a lifetime. I, I do. I believe that this church, and I don't mean little C church. I mean big C church. 
I think we're on the brink of the greatest revival that has ever happened. And that's not going to happen without the Antichrist spirit trying to thwart that, to push against it, to keep it from happening. And I think this climate that we're seeing ourselves in now is part of that fight of the enemy. Um, when, we're in this, when we're in this spiritual battle, it's, it's just that fighting a sense of being overwhelmed. It's fighting the sense of consistent fear of a failure. We're, we're fighting. I mean, one day we may get up and it's like, you know, it's like, man, finally the weight's gone and it's the greatest day ever. And then we get up the next day and it feels like just the opposite. We go from the highest of lies, uh, highs to the lowest of lows. I mean, and we, we're just going through this time of, of really maybe it, it's our own failure that we feel or we feel like people have failed around us. Maybe a failure as a husband or wife or parent, parent failure as a, a ministry leader. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if you've been involved in any kind of ministry, you know that this last 18 months has been the most difficult it's ever been to be any, in any kind of ministry, whether it's, it's just serving or giving time. And it's all because of this pressure cooker of culture and atmosphere and the end days that we are in. Fear as a friend. Fear, maybe it's, when it comes to faith, you feel like you have failed. But it all really comes down to perspective. Listen, we all face the fire. We all face the trial. But don't make permanent decisions on a temporary emotion. I'm going to say that again. Don't make permanent decisions on a temporary emotion. Don't divorce your spouse. Don't quit your job irresponsibly. Don't leave your church. Don't make a move without peace and joy. Don't say or post things in anger that could damage your witness. Don't quit your ministry assignment. Don't doubt God's call. And I save this for a fill in the blank. It's part of this list, but... I, I, I didn't want to include all of that, but I didn't want to include this one. This so, you know, it really kind of gets locked in your heart. Don't trust your emotions. I've said it so many times. Don't trust your feelings because your feelings will betray you. The only thing that is secure is Christ. The only thing that is a firm foundation is God at work in our life. Don't, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of us that we've gotten a lot of trouble because we made a decision based on an emotion. No elbows going like this. Or... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. I want to read this. I do not cease to give thanks to you. I talked about that last week when we we're going to, you know, give thanks to those in our life. But remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And I want to point this out just really quick. That spirit of wisdom, you'll notice that spirit is capitalized. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul was praying for the Ephesians and tell them, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's what takes from the Father and makes it known to us. And so he's praying for them. He said, I pray that you have the spirit, not just like you have a, a, a characteristic of, of wisdom in your life, but you have the Holy Spirit, that advocate, that one that gives you direction in life, um, that counsel on your life and of revelation of the knowledge of him, the knowledge of Jesus, having your hearts 
enlightened. Listen, when you're in the fire, the one of the ways that you're going to make it through those moments and through those trials is keeping your eyes on Jesus. Listen, I know that's simple, right? That's like a, a Sunday school statement, but we really do. We've got to keep our focus on Him. The revelation and the knowledge of Him, having your eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. I really like the enlightened. I, uh, the, the, the Greek of that word, it, it has such more meaning. I mean, we're just not talking about like a, you know, a light bulb coming on, like you know, the, the epiphany or whatever. What that word is specifically saying is a past action with continuous results. A past action with continuous results. And one of the things I have said each week, and I'm going to say it again this week, as believers, we have to decide now, not in the middle of the trial, but before it happens, that no matter what, we're staying with it. We're staying with Him. We're staying the course. Because if we don't, when we don't make that decision beforehand, that it's going to change. When we get in that pressure cooker, it, it'll change the way we see everything and we'll start changing directions and flip-flopping decisions. Are you following me this morning? I'm going to pick up on Daniel in verse 8. We just read it, but let's keep moving on. Therefore, at the time the Chaldeans came forward, they maliciously accused the Jews. That's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever, suck-ups. You, O king, made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall shall be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province. That's, that's real key. There are certain. Okay, that guy's a, and then they're like, okay, we're going to name them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. Do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen, Babylon's motivating tactic is fear. And, in, in, and for us, we're talking about church and culture. We can say culture's motivating tactic is fear. Fear, culture will, will, will try to control us and control our faith. Fear to share your faith. Fear to live out your faith. Fear to step out. I mean, I, I've heard the voices in my head. I, I don't know about you, but maybe we said things like, I'm afraid to try, or I always fail, or it will never work. I don't have what it takes. I'm going to fail. I'm going to flunk. I'm, I'm going to fall short. I'll fail again. That's a stupid idea. Don't even try that. I don't know if you've ever heard those voices in your head, but I've certainly heard them. I was just curious, and so um, I was looking up different fears. I, I do have a fear. I didn't see it listed, and the whole list of fears, I'm going to, and that it really floored me. And I, you know, I'm just going to read through the A's. And I'm not making light of, 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 of any kind of like diagnosed condition of a phobia. But yet some of them still. Um, I mean, there's fear of darkness. I, you know what? I was like scared of the dark like until I was almost in high school. I know that makes you think less of me, but it, it's true. I mean, up in, I slept with a light on in my room. And the reason I stopped, well, I was in eighth grade. 
And um, a girl that I liked lived uh, kind of, she moved in kind of catty corner from me. And I was walking home from her house one day and I realized, you can see the light on in my room. What if like during the night, for some reason, she sees my light on? And that's why I started turning my light off is because of a girl. <laughs> the girls have always gotten me in trouble. I was, gonna, I was planning on being a drummer in life. I wanted to play the drums so bad, and in sixth grade, we were signing up in a high school band, and there was this really cute girl right in front of me, and so we're talking, and I'm like, what are you signing? What are you going to play? She's like, I'm going to play the trombone. She said, what are you? I said, me too. And so that's why I started playing the trombone. But anyway, there's fear of darkness. There's fear of heights. There's fear of flying, fear of pain. I mean, I, I, those are understandable. Fear of open spaces or fear of crowds, fear of needles or pointed objects, fear of riding in a car, fear of men, fear of choking, fear of flowers, fear of people or society, fear of being touched, fear, this, is, this one got fear of peanut butter. There's a phobia where people are afraid of peanut butter. My wife, my wife has never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, that, come on, that's just sad. Just, y'all need to help her, pray for her. There's fear of spiders or arachnophobia. Fear of numbers. Maybe I was in high school. Fear of thunder and lightning. Fear of disorder. Fear of imperfection. Fear of failure. Fear of human-like figures. Fear of being alone. Fear of bacteria. Fear of gravity. Fear of stairs or steep slopes. Fear of amphibians. Fear of pins and needles. Fear of books. That's Chase. Um, fear of, sorry, sorry, sorry. Fear of plants. But you know, there's also fear of the unknown. There's fear of failure. There's fear of rejection. There's fear of being hurt again and again and again. There's fear of the next step. I'm going to tell you if I, I don't do this too often, but if you've never read the book. How to Love Like You've Never Been Hurt by Jensen Franklin, you need to read that book. That book is a powerful book, and he walks through um, with his family. If you don't, Jensen, he's, a, you know, he's on TV as a you know, big mega church, a big ministry, but he wrote a book, How to Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful book, but listen, in this culture of this furnace culture, we deal with, it's, the, it's really the furnace of rejection, the furnace of, of labeling, the furnace of accusations. Bethany Hamilton says this, you know who that is, it's the soul surfer, you know, that lost her arm to a shark. Wisdom of Bethany Hamilton, she said this, courage doesn't mean you don't get afraid, courage means that you don't let fear stop you. The scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 18, that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Consistent fear in our life will cause us to believe that we deserve the bad things in life. Constant fear in our life. What, what be, it be, remember I said that when we go through that pressures in life, it begins to change the way we filter things and see things. And one of the things it will do is cause you to believe that you deserve everything bad that's happened, that happens in your life. And I'm going to tell you, that is not true. That is not true. And one of the first steps into changing that and shifting that is just what 1 John 4.18 tells us. 
There is no fear in love. It is getting immersed in the love of God. It really is. It is, it is a baptism of love that only God can give us. In Daniel chapter 3, picking up in verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I set up? Verse 15, Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of all those instruments again, I'm going to skip forward here, But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But... And I, that, that is a, a crucial word in this passage. Because something else that I've said so many times, I'm going to say it again. Just because we do the right things, the things that we're supposed to do, doesn't mean that we're going to hit the jackpot. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything's going to be perfect in life. Sometimes there will be a but. But what did they say? If not, it, I mean, what they're saying is it's not going to change our faith in our God. Regardless, if you throw us into that fiery furnace, it's not going to change how we feel and what we believe about God. This be so our God, whom we are able to serve, will deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the fiery furnace to be heated seven times more than usual. And he ordered some mighty men of his army to bind them and to cast them in the fiery furnace. And then they, so they bound them in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown in the furnace. Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, fell bound into the burning furnace. God did not keep them from the furnace. The, good, the, the difficulties in life do not happen because God stopped loving you. The difficulties in life don't happen do not happen because God has stopped loving you. Here's our lies that we believe. Here's the first one. God doesn't help me. God doesn't help me. Or maybe to say a little more, uh, if I could clarify it a little bit, is that God doesn't answer my prayers. Unanswered prayers. We equate that. We, sometimes we feel that way and I almost wanted to cue the Garth Brooks song right there for some of you, but anyway. Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my, everybody say help. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. I know sometimes those seasons are prolonged. We're in that furnace. We're in that pressure cooker. We're in that moment where we feel like the flames are coming up around us. And we get in that moment and sometimes we're like, God, why don't you answer my prayers? Why, why, why am I having to go through this? Listen, it's not wrong to ask those questions, but trust God anyway. If you're in that moment, don't believe the lie that God doesn't help you because help is on the way. Number two is this, God loves others more. This is another lie, that God loves others more. Well, God, you do that for them. Why, why wouldn't you do that for me? Well, God, you what, look at them. Look what, look what God... Look. And we, we really get our focus on people around us or what we perceive as happening in people's lives around us. And it'll cause us feeling. But what do feelings do? They betray us, right? That God loves others more. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Listen to me. God loves you. He fashioned and forms you in your mother's womb. And God loves you. And I know we've heard it right all of our life. We've heard it so often. We hear it all the time that for God so loved the world. And that becomes really kind of a generic statement for us. But Really, the way we need to read that is that God loved you so much he gave us, son. God loves you. He doesn't love others more. God is no respecter of person. Number three is this. There's another lie that we believe, that God is looking to punish me. I have talked to so many people. This goes back to that feeling of deserving of the things going wrong in life and that God is looking to punish. But remember, I'm going to use the scripture again in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love and perfect, fear, perfect love casts out fear. When we are immersed in God's love, when we understand that number two is a lie and that God loves us, we understand that God is not looking to punish you. Number four is this. Some believe that the lie that God is mad at me. He sees our every move. He, I mean, nobody sees us for what we are like God does, right? And so he sees every mess up. He sees every falter. He sees every failure. He sees every lie. And we tend to believe that God is mad at us because of where we fall short and that uh, he's furious with us because we can't get our act together and that is false god does see you for who you are he does hear every word that you say he does see every action that you do and yet he still loves you with an everlasting love charles spurgeon said this trials teach us what we are they dig up the soil they let us see what we're made of daniel chapter 3 and verse 24 this is kind of a longer passage, but we're, we're landing now. We're about to close in just a second. But Daniel chapter 3 and verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? 
They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. I would have loved to have been there at that moment. I would really love to have been there at that moment. I mean, I, some of you looked at me at Catherine New Gate when I was talking about the Flying Lighthouse. But that'd be one of those trips that I take in the Flying Lighthouse to see the four in the furnace, to see the four in the fire, and the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And all these leaders and government officials, they gathered together and they saw the fire had not had any power over their bodies of the men. Their hair of the heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. That got Nebuchadnezzar's attention, didn't it? And so what happens is he makes a decree and he says, any people, any nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. True. <laughs> there is no other God able to rescue like what God can rescue. And the Bible says that he promoted them. It reminds me of the promise in Isaiah 43. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. It goes on to say this in verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. My last point for this morning is this. When we trust God through our difficulties... We can come out on the other side free from the smoky smell of bitterness, resentment, frustration, and anger. You see, that's what happens so much in life as we get in the middle of that fire and it causes us and what we are going through to become bitter, to become resentful, to become frustrated with how things are. To become angry, angry, and, and everything becomes the object of our anger. But I'm going to tell you, if we will not bow to the idol of culture and the pressure that we feel from the trial that we're in, and we will continue steadfast in our faith and worship God and worship alone and be immersed in Him, I'm going to tell you, we will come out of the other side of the difficulty. We will come out of the other side of the difficulty. I mean, all through Scripture, we read about the purpose of trials and tribulations and those things that we go to. I thought of many other verses, the one like, you know, it's in Hebrews that, I mean, the Scripture talks about that God doesn't chastise, I mean, those that He don't love. Just like a father will 
chastise a child. So because of God's love for us, he, you know why? Because God wants to mold us and to shape us into the image of his son. And when we are in that fiery trial, the Bible says that our faith should come out more precious, worth more than that of gold. And I want to encourage you several things this morning. One is this. Is one is this. I, I'm not saying that, uh, um, you know, I've, all of us have known and met believers or Christians that, you know, were so heavily minded they were no earthly good. You know, many, many of us have heard, heard that saying. And, I, you know, I'm not telling you that, uh, um, you know, to like go, go weird or, or nothing, but it is this. I, don't, don't get caught up in the culture war. Don't get caught up in the culture war. Because when it's all said and done, I mean, when, when, when the battle of Armageddon comes, God, God's going to set, set straight who wins the war. And I want to be on the winning side. Don't get sucked in by the news. Don't get sucked in by, I mean, how powerful that Hollywood is and media is and social media is. Don't get sucked in by what, how culture is trying to, to shape us. Don't be sucked into that. Don't be sucked into the lies. If there was ever a time, a season, to pray for discernment, to pray for the fruit of the Spirit, it's now. It's now. And the second thing is this, is if you feel like that you have been locked in the fire for a while, here's what I want you to know. Is I, I wish I could tell you that we could pray a special prayer here in just a minute, and man, God's gonna, He's gonna pull you out, and man, you're gonna, you know, and you're gonna pop your collar, and that that can't happen. God can do that, but it may not be your time yet either. There's still something that God is working and that God is stirring. You see, God's time frame will never be our time frame. God's time frame will never be our time frame. Yes, dream. Yes, have visions. Yes, work towards a goal. But listen, God's timing will never be our timing because God's timing is perfect. And you may be in that place where you feel like you're in that fire furnace and that trial and the pressure is coming in on you. And I was thinking, so what do we do? What, what needs to shift? What needs to change? And I, I don't know if this is generic or not, but... I sure don't mean the answer to be in a generic sense, but you know what we need as the people of God is just to get lost in His presence. And when we go through Daniel chapter 3, and we'll look at it in possibly next week, but Daniel chapter 6, I mean, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den for the same exact thing under another king, is that he wouldn't worship the, what they want him to worship, but he stood firm in his faith, and so they throw him in the lion's den. I'm at the world, the enemy, the Antichrist, they're after our, our worship. They're after our worship. And so what, what's the answer then? The answer in is when we don't have an answer, when we feel like we've prayed every prayer we know to pray, we worship. You remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about that. I talked about what do we do? We worship, we pray, we worship. 
With every problem, we worship, we pray, we worship. When we get the bad news, we worship, we pray, we worship. When we feel the pressure, we worship, we pray, and we worship. And I really do believe that worship is a part of that. And so let me speak just for about 30 seconds directly to us. What I have noticed over the last six weeks is our worship getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And so as I was praying, I, I felt the Lord, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. That's because we're allowing the pressure. We, maybe we don't fully realize it, but we're allowing the pressure to get to us. I'm going to tell you that today is a day to break free from it. I want you to stand Thank you once again for joining us for our podcast. If you want more information about us, just find us on the web at odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Again, thank you for joining us, and I pray that the Lord richly bless you.